everyone, and welcome to another Scots We Hate podcast. And today we are joined by writer Rhea Martin. Hello, Rhea. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, very well. I'm going to chat to you because you are this year's winner of the Canada and Europe region of the Commonwealth Short Story Prize. So congratulations for that. Thanks, it's definitely a big title. It is, I had to make sure I got that uh, spot on. But can you give us a bit of background to the Commonwealth uh, Short Story Prize? Because it's one some people might not know about. Oh, it's brilliant. I think it's the most world, the most global short story prize for any member of the Commonwealth. I think the word limit's 4,000 words, so it's awful generous. Uh, And entries free, which caught me because a lot of competitions just wouldn't be. You know, you think you have no chance, but no prize fee makes it a lot easier to enter because it's not so much of a gamble. Uh, there are sort of something like 53 countries they accept entries from and loads of languages, but it's amazing. I couldn't well, thank I them enough. About it, and it said that there was like 5,000 entries this year. I mean, it's a huge thing. It's scary to think about. You know, you don't, you're sitting in the corner of some room by yourself thinking that no one's going to read something. You don't sit there and think, oh, I'm competing with 5,000 people at sort of, I'm giving you a bit of myself and this is terrifying, but that's okay. <laughs> because <laughs> I say to people all the time, I was like that, I was best friends with Oblivion. You just kind of fade into it and kind of accept that you're not going to hear anything. <laughs> and then they get back to you and you're like, oh, really? I, I, I think the words I said was, I turned around and went, are you sure? <laughs> I said, yeah. And I went, really? <laughs> it, was it, was, it was surreal, but beautiful. <laughs> But, so how did you get involved? What was the process? You say it's, um, it was free to enter. So was it just a case of, did you have the story already or was it something that you wrote specifically for it? I was really lucky. in the, So if I have a deadline, I usually kind of have a sort of minor meltdown before the deadline and then find something that's already there. So I was lucky that I'd written this a year ago and I touched up so much that I refused to look at it again. So I put it away for about a year took it out again and went actually this feels you know it feels quite nice I quite like the way it reads and I sent it in kind of hoping for the best believing the worst and then six months later there was this email and I couldn't believe I think I screamed somebody <laughs> sitting beside me and they were like are you okay are you quite all right I was like that I can't tell you but <laughs> this is a really big thing and I tram in Edinburgh they're all staring at me I was like I need to get off this and hide somewhere and happy cry to myself oh brilliant and um, how did the process go? Did it get whittled down to a smaller amount? Or were you, I mean, you know, was it various stages? They started with a shortlist of 20. And then kind of, you know, there's about a month between when it got down to a top five and then an overall winner. So you're sort of waiting for that nail-biting month, kind of working out whether you're in the top five or not. And then uh, the prizes, I mean, it's it's huge. It's incredible because it's one of those ones you sort of dream about and don't really think is going to happen. And then you wake up and it, oh, well, you know, I can't believe that's me. And it's still me. And are you sure? I don't know how many times I woke up in the middle of the night and sort of bolted up and was like, really? <laughs> Check that again. I'll reread it about 10 times. So um, they had the, the ceremony recently um, and it was online. So what was that like? It was, I think it was a bit bizarre because, in a way, it was brilliant because, you know, people can watch it over again and people can see you and things. There was a bit of disappointment because we were all supposed to be in Africa. Oh, man. Which, yeah, it would have been, you know, it would have been something else. But I think we did the best you possibly could. Like, it was amazing anyway. And you, you did, you felt special and, and recognised and really acknowledged because it's so much about 
craft I think and trying to kind of work through whatever you've sent in yourself that you kind of forget that that you uh, are given so much of yourself away I suppose so it was nice to have someone say do you know what you, you've done well at this you should keep going at this was that what it felt a kind of um uh, uh kind of validation of of your writing to oh, that yeah. yeah it's a strange one I think because there's definitely this sort of idea that you come from this tiny wee corner of this huge big planet and you know you get the news that you've beaten people from Canada or or Cyprus or something and you kind of sit and you think well those you know that's a few thousand miles I can't imagine where these people are yeah. and then there's me because <laughs> my mum was like that she's like you know you're only you're only 20 and I you know you, you sit up in this room and you write by yourself and you sort of you just say and I, you never expect anything to come of it and then something does and you think because I always thought I'd, you know, I'd be able to gauge my own reaction and I'd be able to sort of have answers to questions like this and know straight away what I was going to, you know, you practice and you daydream about it and you're like, kind of, oh yeah, I was inspired by this and that. And as soon as I got asked, I think I went numb. I was like, hold on, I have to think about this. I know what I would have said if this wasn't real and I was still in some dream, but this is real and people are going to hear it. <laughs> so so it how did it work in the ceremony? Did they have, were they interviewing the individual writers? They'd interviewed us uh, beforehand, they'd asked us right. to record something, and then that was kind of used in the ceremony, which it was brilliant to watch because we hadn't, none of us had seen the, I don't think any of us had seen the kind of finished product. So we uh, we all kind of sat down with whoever was with us, and it was amazing. I was sitting there with like my mum and my gran, and they were like, that no way is this as big as we thought, <laughs> we thought it was. And I'm like, that, it might be. <laughs> it's kind of massive and incredible. Well, it's, I mean, it's a really, sorry, it's a really interesting idea that it brings, as you see, short story, well, writing by its very nature is, is kind of solitary, as you've mentioned, but to bring writers from across the Commonwealth like this, um, it's, a, it's a fascinating undertaking to do, because there'll be, there will be some similarities, I'm guessing, but there'll also be huge differences culturally. I think it's such a beautiful mission to have, do you know, because so many people are sort of looking for that ability to find themselves or find a voice or find what they want to say. And so many people don't get to hear that. But this is kind of one of the most global initiatives, global organisations. And people, you know, they really care about bringing voices forward. And uh, to be chosen was, was, it was a bit of madness, but it was that wonderful madness that you don't really want to give up on. And the, the the winner was uh, Kritika Pandey, who's an Indian writer. Is that right? Yeah, she oh she was amazing. She really was. She is <laughs> continues to be. Oh, I'm really looking forward to, to to reading the story. And actually, I just found out before we spoke tonight that all the regional winning stories they're going to be published by Paper and Ink. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen. I can't remember when, but quite soon, I think. So people will be able to buy uh, the, all the, the kind of regional winners and the winning story yeah. too. Yeah. And uh, your story, uh, which was wherever Mr. Jensen went, um, can you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, without giving everything away, obviously, but um, you know, what was the inspiration behind it? Well, I was really lucky in that I had, the year that I wrote the story, I'd spent three weeks in America and... It was kind of, you know, it was before this, because people keep saying to me just now, oh, did you write it about, you know, Black Lives Matter and things? I absolutely did not. It was, it was a year beforehand. Uh, but I kind of noticed that, you know, you get the little kind of towns that all sit together and look kind of whitewashed and, and, and perfect and beautiful. And then you had these 
huge, big, expansive roads in between. And you think, how do you know, coming from this tiny wee village that I come from, we all talk to each other and we all know about everybody, you know, and if you don't know, you find out. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, how do they talk to each other? And if they do, you know, what do they say? And then it kind of ended up. So the story itself is about this man who lives sort of on the other side of things. And he, uh, there's all these rumours sort of floating around about him until he becomes a sort of, not even a person necessarily, a sort of entity of all these things that have been made up about him by, by other people. Right. And he's sort of a, yeah, he's a scapegoat for generations. He kind of, he makes his cane out of children's bones and things. And he's, you know, the crazy things that just don't exist. He's killed his wife and what have you. And uh, something terrible happens to him. And this news sort of gets out, but you know, there's, a, there's a bit of debate over whether it's true or false and whether, it, you know, whether he did it himself, whether it, something happened. But it's a whole big kind of conundrum about hysteria and how powerful hysteria can be and whether or not you believe what you believe and why you believe it and whether it's intrinsic, whether you were brought up with it, whether you create it for yourself. I guess he, he's clever because he's not... I say clever, I'm... And no clever. It was an accident. <laughs> no clever in the You know, I didn't think that deeply into it. But so many people have said to me, well, does that thing really happen to him? Is he really, somebody asked me the other day, is he really a person? And I thought, I could say, yeah, because I know that he is. Or I could give you the answer you want and say, oh, no, I really, I meant to do this really clever thing. <laughs> which, which sounds brilliant thinking back on it, but I swear to you, it was a... Uh, I was just, it was just sort of an old man who, who suffered and then it turned into this kind of crazy, wonderful, hysterical, sort of always full of rumour and full of history and full of this and full of that. He could just be your average guy. <laughs> it's so interesting because, you know, you're saying that, you know, it was written a few years ago, but everything you've said about it could, you know, the idea about history and myth and, you know, false news and, you know, all of that stuff seems so prescient for like today and I guess what that says is that there are certain things that are with us always we just you know maybe take more notice of them at different times yeah I think that's the madness of it is that now more than ever you know people, the amount of people who have said to me did you write about this incident or did you write mm -hmm. about is that because of this person and I'm thinking <laughs> no it's just sat there for two years and, and boiled its way into my head but it's madness, especially when you think of the world today. And it's maybe not the context that is as relatable, but it's kind of that cyclical nature, I think, because that was something I tried really hard with, was trying to make it the sort of cyclical, you know, generation brings this and the next one carries it onto this. And it doesn't end with this person because it continues because their mother said something or their father said something or somebody's put something into their head. And um, it was, I don't know how, how political I can get, but the amount of people who've come to me, even my best friend, she come around to me and she said, well, you know, that's the same with like racial issues or any other kind of issue. If you're brought up in a certain way, you're going to accept and not accept certain things. And I think I understand why people would see parallels and I'm really pleased in a sense that perhaps they do. But I, uh, it wasn't fully intentional. It was, you know, it was meant to make a point, but I think I got, I got lucky with the time in a wee bit. <laughs> So what was, the, what was the judge's reaction? Did they explain, I presume at some point they explained why they chose your story as the winner? They were very, very confident. I was really grateful actually because we were very sort of in detail. You know, it's a stream of consciousness. It's about hysteria and the ability for it to progress. And I, you know, when I don't know if anyone else is like this, but when I write something, I tend to sort of, once it's finished, it's finished. <laughs> Right. And it's nice to have, so, you know, you kind of get tired of looking at it yourself because you've seen the same sentence about 
hundred times in a row and it's two in the morning and you're like, I can't look at this anymore. But to have someone else sit down and say, well, actually, it, you know, it stuck with me and I, you know, I took that from you and it, it stayed with me, it's connected, was massive. I think yeah. that's, that's, that's what you look for as a writer, I suppose, is that you reach out to people and people say, do you know what, actually, I like that or, you know, I respected this or you hit me there with that because it, it's one of those amazing feelings. And another amazing thing, uh, which I just again found out before we chatted, was that uh, Elizabeth McGovern read some of an extract of your story. And for those <laughs> who don't know, I mean, I think if anyone do know uh, Elizabeth McGovern, she'll, they'll know her as um, from Downton Abbey. Mm, yeah. In place of yeah. Grantham in Downton Abbey. I actually remember her as being Deborah in Sergio Leone's uh, Once Upon a Time in America many, many years ago. But uh, that's a big deal, I would think, for her to be reading your story. Oh, it was huge, yeah. And see, because she, cause, uh, she'd read it so well as well. Because I don't know... I have a lot of kind of you hear a voice when you're writing it and you don't know if I'm a crazy person but you know you start to hear this sort of voice and she was perfect in terms of how she did it and mm-hmm. the way it was kind of uh, performed and things it was beautiful I couldn't have picked a better person and to have sort of you know someone so influential as well was it was incredible <laughs> it really was so I'm presuming because I haven't checked I'm presuming each story had someone well known as the uh, kind of yes. reading extracts Yes, it was a Bernardine Evaristo and things, so it was kind of high profile. She just won the Booker Prize, so it's quite high profile oh. people. I was like, oh, it's amazing. I know you're sitting in this tiny wee village waiting on like your grand to finish your tea before you unpause this video, and you're like, that. do you know that this really famous American actress is going to... It's something I never thought I'd say. It just shows you that, you, you know... Um, if anyone's out there thinking, oh, I'm not sure whether to enter something, you know, well, why? Oh, then? the amount of dilemmas, honestly. Because yeah. I was exactly the same. I remember sitting there going, this is not good enough. This is terrible. No one's going to like this. And they come by and, of course, the miracle happens. <laughs> but I was always terrified before. You know, it would take, take days before I'd build up to submitting anything. And then I'd sit there and I'd be like, well, fully accepting never to hear anything again. I'd be like, we go. It's, it's a scary thing, I think, because you're so invested yourself. Yeah. And the amount of... I mean, I tell people all the time, I've got sketches of characters all over the walls, and you sort of... Three in the morning, after reworking the same page of work, you sit there and you're like, well, what do you want? Why am I, why am I doing this? And then on other days, you're sort of floating in the clouds, and you're oh, this is amazing, and I could write 3,000 words today, and I could finish a novel, and I could do this. It's a strange sort of intrinsic but strangely sort of intimate process so even sharing it in the first place is yeah you know there's a bit of insanity that sort of crosses your mind and goes really you're going to make yourself this vulnerable and potentially for nothing do you feel that writing is something that you kind of you're compelled to do that you have to do rather than even want to do well i think it started with a what there's a really strong desire there yeah um a very very strong desire which has been there since Oh, I can't remember being without it. I think because once you, I don't know what it's like, but I remember reading even things like Matilda. And I remember saying to my mum at five years old, she says, oh, well, you know, I'd like to be as smart as Matilda, but I'd actually like to write her, you know, better or write her again or try this, try that. And, you know, there's ended up bits of paper all over the house. And this. And I think I want to, because, I, you know, I, I wake up and I think I have to do this because I want to, you know, you want to be able to, I think for me, it's, wanting to be able to do what I love to do Mm -hmm. and the necessity is that I have to do this in order to get to 
what I want to, you know, where I want to be, what I love to do, what I, what I would like my life to be like. I have to because I want to. It's kind of driven by, I don't know if that makes sense, but it's sort of driven by the love to do it. Gives me the, the idea that I have to. Something that you want to do, but you almost, you know, sometimes there's something that you want to do, but you think, I don't need to do it. But I get the feeling with a lot of writers and perhaps with yourself that you want to do it, but you also kind of need to do it as well. They kind of feed okay. each other. It's strange because I can sit there, you know, I have this very sort of deep desire to, you know, it's like even just now I'm working on this novel and, you know, that you get to like two in the morning and you're still like, oh, I, don't, I don't want to go to bed, but I want to finish this bit and see where he goes and where this is happening. And then at the same time, you're sort of, well, the reason I'm here at two in the morning and I haven't eaten for hours is because I love this. Yeah. It's because yeah. I can fully invest in this and I can't, you know, it doesn't matter if I've, you know, it doesn't matter if I've run out of tea or whatever. I'll get to that in a minute. I just need to finish this. It becomes the most important thing at the front. Yeah, yeah. And I it's the strangest thing because trying to explain it to someone who, I've got a lot of friends who are engineers or they're scientists or they're kind of technical minded. And you're sitting there trying to explain that, yes, you have an absolute love for this fictional entity. And they're sort of, well, you know, very logical. So, well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Why do you love that? Or, you know, I get why you like this bit, but you know you're never going to meet this person. Or see, and I'm like that. Well, that's what you know, I say to people all the time. I'm like, well, if I'm never going to meet them, I can at least do them justice. And then other people can see this. And I'd probably say crazy. But, you know, you carry around the character often enough. And it becomes this sort of a necessity to finish because you've grown to love this character. <laughs> I mean, you said something which I think non-writers wouldn't really be able to understand, but I've heard it from quite a lot of writers, is you want to continue because you want to know what the characters are going to do next. Now, <laughs> see, a lot of people go, well, you must know because you're writing it, but they take you in different directions. It is, it's the strangest thing because I have a very sort of, quite a planned out backbone even for this book. And I sat there and I thought, oh, you know, I know this is going to happen and I know this guy is going to do this crazy thing and that's going to be a shocker and then I was writing it the other night and I was like what? no way does he backstab him and she backstabs him. and this happens and then he he's not supposed to die because that ruins this bit and I thought oh no it's happening now because I swear sometimes they write themselves yeah. and I sit there I'm like you know what and you go oh, this is a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be it's almost like someone else like almost an out-of-body experience it seems yeah it's 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 very strange see trying to even the process trying to explain that, because I, I had a friend who said, uh, she said something like, oh, if I wrote a novel, I think I would, uh, I'd sit and I'd do it in sort of one sitting. And, you know, she was joking, but I looked at her and I was like, sorry, excuse me, what? Do you, do you plan, am I supposed to plan that much? You know, am I supposed to, oh my goodness. And she kind of, she was like, well, would you, you know, would you not do that? And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this has been two years now, but that's okay, that's fine. But I think, actually, that can be... And I'm interested, because you, as you say there, you're writing a novel and, you know, you've just had this short story success. And you can kind of imagine writing a short story, not maybe in one sitting, you know, not like, you know, um, unless you're, you know, Jack Kerouac or something like that. But you... <laughs> you, you um, but you can imagine, say, writing a short, short story in a fairly short space of time. Whereas, you know, I think... Sometimes people find that move from writing short stories to novels difficult because, as you say, it, you have to almost bring in a different level of approach. Oh, yeah, there's a whole different... I struggled with it in the beginning. There was a sort of... 
necessity for even very practical things that I wouldn't think of. And someone would read it and go, well, actually, you know, you can't skip 10 years in the future because you just said this bit's at this time. And I'm like, oh, so it is. Of course it is. <laughs> but, you know, you get, I think with the short story, it's easier to get that sort of psychological uplift with that sense of completion. Because I don't know how many times I've turned around writing this novel and thought, oh my God, this is never going to get done. And then the next day, you know, I'll be flying and I'm like, oh, I'm on a roll today. And this is brilliant. And I love this. I think you have these weird sort of peaks and troughs where you're like, well, no one, you know, there's a part of you in, in yourself that's like, oh, yeah, I, I know this is good, but is it good enough? Mm-hmm. And I think it comes from kind of not being able to say complete something entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sit down in one, maybe not one sitting, but maybe sit down over a month or something. And then at the end of it, kind of think, I've got a finished product now. I've got, I mean, the closest I've come to that is like, oh, I've got first draft. Like, <laughs> there are so many holes in this and there are so many missing parts. And, and, and this guy's still to kill this guy, but <laughs> like I've got something. <laughs> I think the difference is trying to sort of battle with your, yourself because the amount of times I've sat kind of, you know, I've sat in the morning and it's been fine and I thought, I can do this. And then you get to sort of seven o'clock at night and you're like, well, a thousand words is something, but it wasn't what I was expecting today. <laughs> and this was supposed to work better than it did. And I think it becomes, you become so wrapped up that it's almost sort of, well, for me, it's sort of too much of my, I say too much, but there's a lot of myself that comes into it sort of, oh, well, you could have done this better or that better. And then you could, you know, this character could be better if you'd done this. <laughs> but... It's a process. <laughs> That's the easiest way. It's definitely a process. Like, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that you've got some kind of idea of a structure. So do you have, how do you begin to structure the novel? I mean, do you have a kind of timeline or an outline or how does that work? I went for a very, see, this is a great story because people always, you know, that if you say you're writing a book, they expect that you can kind of, bang out the plot and it'll be okay. You know, you can tell a sort of coherent story. For the longest time, I told people that I had a set of characters and I'd tell them all about these characters and all this and all this. And then I remember one night sitting, getting really kind of fed up with myself because it'd been about two years, three years, and I was sitting with these same characters and I knew there was something in them. I thought, oh no, you know, (laughs) nothing's happening. It's quite a flat story. It's quite this, it's quite that. And then I had a momentous kind kind of occasion with kind of brainstorm at two in the morning where it said you know what I need to do something radical with one of these characters so it kind of spiraled from this specific moment now I'm lucky because it's kind of this book has kind of split itself into four parts and follows a sort of timeline and I sort of fleshed out the timeline so I got lucky in that respect but it came from quite a radical decision to uh, to actually cripple a character I didn't realise I was going to have to cripple which was, was great fun <laughs> it, was, it, sort of, it solved all the you know anyone listening looks at my search history would probably think I was a psychopath but you sit there and you're like well do you know what I didn't realise I had to cripple you but that lets you be like this which means I can do this which means it all fits together and I think I had a sort of maniac Einstein sort of moment where I stayed up with it was about two in the morning when I realised what I had to do and it was the strangest because you know people come up with inventions and it really is like a palpable like oh my god this is it it was one of those because I had a uh, I'd been sitting on this for months and the answer was to damage this character. And he, he was my favourite at the time. So it was a bit of a disaster. But he, oh, now he's just even more wonderful. And I'm prattling like either an insane person or a writer. So, 
But it's such an interesting psychological, well, definitely like a writer, by the way. I've spoken to enough writers. <laughs> Absolutely. I just spoke to um, Mandy Haggith in the podcast, yes. this, and she spoke about how after having the same characters over a period of a trilogy, how she felt she was really going to miss them and how she felt <laughs> they're with her. You know, as if these people have become actual friends. And what, so what you're saying is about, this is a favourite character, but I'm afraid I'm going to have to treat him very, very badly, even though they're a favourite character. It makes complete- oh, he's about my favourite person on the air, you know. Oh, he's like, <laughs> if, I could, if he was a real human, I don't know how many times I've said it, I said if he's a real human being, I would hug him right now. But he's not here, because obviously he exists in some fictional thing that no one's read and no one... <laughs> Because no um, um, I now want to read this book, uh, can you say how kind of near to completion the novel is? It's still quite a distance away. It's in that I have, it feels kind of right now as if my, my head's going faster than I can type. Yeah. Because everything is there. It's wonderfully there and I'm sort of, oh, I can't wait to get to this bit and this bit and that bit. But it's, uh, we hit a milestone this week where we get, kind of got to about 60,000 words, which wasn't so bad. Yeah, it's it's about kind of, half written and the other half is sitting and waiting and kind of begging me to do something with it because it's been sitting for ages and I can't go fast enough <laughs> but yeah I'm desperate to get it done I'm desperate to see the whole thing because chances are it's not going to stay the same and yeah. I'm going to go a bit mad thinking oh my goodness this happened and this person is <laughs> this person is no longer here and this person's done that and this person's whack but <laughs> I'm excited about it I think because especially with all this time because so many people have said to me oh I can't I can't work just now. I'm, I'm too frazzled with this and too frazzled with that. But I mean, this book, it's, it's wonderful in that I go between the pandemic and kind of the First World War. So I'm like that. I say to people, oh, well, you know, I'm in this other tragedy at the moment. But it's a strange sort of escapism where I'm so, I think because I can control it, which is nice. <laughs> and because I know kind of where it's going and that, that it ends, I think I can fully invest in the fact that, yeah, do you know what? I want to get here maybe before this day or before I get to this, but I want to be here. Um, it, it makes for a lot of pressure at times because, you know, you have terrible days like everyone does in a lockdown when there's a pandemic. <laughs> you have absolutely awful days where, oh, I shouldn't be doing this and I need something different. But then you come back to it and you're even more eager to sort of, okay, this is where this belongs and I need this here and I need, <laughs> I need to sort it. But I think that's why, at a time like this, I say a time like this, like it's happened before, you know, but uh, <laughs> that uh, books, particularly, I would say, I might be biased, offer that escape to take you to different times, different places, different people. And they, yeah, they may, they may have their own problems, I'm sure they will, but I think that's a really almost important thing to do when, when, the, when what's happening in the present day is so strange and kind of discombobulating. It's really important to be able to escape. And it sounds like instead of reading, what you're doing is you're writing your escape in, in these uh, people and places that you're going to. Yeah, I think I got really lucky with that because it all sort of, maybe six months ago, okay, you know, it was sitting sort of stagnant and I was about ready to give up on it and go, you know, I got quite upset <laughs> for no reason at all. And then turned around and I said, like, you know what, something has to happen. And there's a, there's a scene where, which never existed in any previous draft, where a woman was sort of jumping out a window. And I was lucky in that there's a window right in front of me when I write, and there's this tree outside the window. And I thought, you know what? And, I, the, you know, there was no consideration of me jumping out the window. But <laughs> this woman lives in this huge Victorian house, and she's sort of, I said, you know what? She's going to jump out the window. And she has a child. Okay, now we've got a plot and now we're going to carry on with that. I don't think I spoke to anyone for about 24 hours. I was oh, I need to get this down and I need to fix this. I need to do this. 
Why? Oh, because the women's jumped out the window. They're like, are you okay? It's an emergency. (laughs) She needs help and I need to fix this. I love that. Wonderful. Um, So it's actually uh, kind of lockdown been a a kind of not a pretty good thing for you in terms of allowing you the time to write or just being able to spend so much time writing. I think, like everyone, you don't you wouldn't wish this on anybody. No, no, really wouldn't. Of course. But in terms of being fortunate, I think it's it has been really lucky. It's been a really good time to just sit and say, do you know what? What's important and what's not important. What can I? What can I do without? <laughs> and what, what do I have to do? Yeah. And, you know, you're desperate for people and you're desperate for company and you're desperate for, even for like intimacy. You're desperate for everything. But I think having that time to be able to say, do you know what? Even if I wanted to, I couldn't see you or I couldn't, you know, I couldn't do that today or I couldn't find out a way to procrastinate this. <laughs> it starts off as sort of a paradise then it became a sort of hellhole then it's <laughs> it goes between the two I think yeah but very fortunate touch with most of the time that it, it, it goes quite well and I quite enjoy being able to sit and say do you know what no today I am going to write and I'm not going to stop because there's no reason for me to stop yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it strikes me that actually um children and writers might be getting through this better than most because they both have imaginary friends and it's all right for them to have imaginary <laughs> friends. It's funny because they might, you know, you say to people, it's not, there's not many people you can turn up to them and say, do you know what? Yes, I talk to a sketch on the wall, but I swear I do sit there and I'm like, because this character is a brat. And I mean, he's a character, but you sit there and you're like, well, you know, if things aren't going well, I'll sit there and I, I will I'll turn around to the sketch and go, right, what do you want? <laughs> you know, it, it does get to a ridiculous sort of witching hour time where you're at three in the morning and you're sort of okay with the fact that you might be going a wee bit insane because you are talking to a sketch on the wall. <laughs> but there's, a, there's an element of kind of being able to escape it. I think with me, it's been able to kind of solve something as well because I know that this isn't going to necessarily be solved, but there are parts of it where I'm like, okay, well, that's sort of, and that explains why you have this issue. And that explains why you're like this and why you're so attached to it. You know, why this character does this and does that. And I think it is a bit of control, maybe, but it's also kind of that idea that, yeah, there is something where I could say, I don't know how much nervous, anxious energy I've got, but I sit there and I'm like, well, do you know what? Maybe if we just aim for something ridiculous, like 70,000 words today, and then whatever you do, <laughs> whatever you do is okay. <laughs> We yeah, usually get to about one and a half, two, and I think, okay, I'll take that. I'll take that today. So, but now you've had this recent success um, with short stories. Uh, do you feel that you would like to write more short stories, or are you already doing so? In, uh, how, has, this, has this kind of changed how you think of yourself as a writer and maybe what you might do in the future or not? I think it's changed my perception of how I work with form. Right. And that before, if you'd told me that I was going to, I, I would, you know, I would have shook my head at you and sort of probably been absolutely done, but no way, no chance. But I think being able to complete something really drove me with it. Because, you know, that kind of psychological sense of completion was amazing. Mm-hmm. So when you're, I don't know what it's like for anyone else, but when you're working on something longer, there's always something that seems to be, even if you fix one bit, there's something else that goes away and, and, and pops out or there's a gaping hole in the plot somewhere because you fixed this one perfect bit. 
So I was sort of writing them in between this sort of longer, longer project. And I do, that's, that's it's strange. That's what I mean about living and breathing the entire thing, because I can shut this novel down and be like, well, do you know what? We're writing on this shorter thing now because I can't leave it alone and I need to fix this and I need to do that. I think because, because you're able to sort of switch between the two, I still, you know, there's absolutely a huge bit of me wants to be a novelist, mm-hmm. but even kind of writing things down, I'd be like, oh, well, if I thought about this in a shorter form, I could put it here and I could do the, I've got so many ideas floating around for shorter stuff now because... I think I've got proof that I could do it, which I didn't, you know, you kind of traditionally when, I don't know if it's because I grew up and kind of got into it young, I traditionally thought of a writer as, you know, they wrote novels in a shed somewhere and they, they sort of, they had a pet cat and that was okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, that was what, for, for a very long time, that was what I wanted. I wanted this sort of, you know what, I can, I can be like a sort of underground Maybe not a bank, say, but an underground someone who's churning things out and can sort of answer people's letters and has this sort of lovely retro typewriter image, which does not exist. (laughs) 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 It it tried to exist for a while. And I think I was lucky in that I managed to get onto a creative writing course. Right. And I met, honestly, right beforehand, I was very lucky in that I was recommended it by someone who was an amazing mentor. And she was sort of very expert on form and where to go and where to look for competitions and where to um where to kind of put yourself and where to, how to contact people and how to approach it and uh, I never I never had the confidence for quite a while because I started kind of adult classes when I was about 13 and you know you get you get through that sort of awkward teenager phase where you don't want to show anyone anything about yourself never mind a poem that you've written or <laughs> or anything else like you do not you absolutely will not and then I think she was sort of, oh, well, try this and try that. And in fact, it was another friend at the same group who'd said, you know what, I'll help you kind of edit this. And then I, dare, I pretty much dare you to put it into this competition. So it was amazing to have that support, I think, because I wouldn't have, without this course, without being able to kind of talk to people, I don't think I would have, there's a whole different image now of me to, to what a writer is to sure. me. And I mean, it's amazing. It's it's more than more than I expected, more than I more than I thought possible. Um, but yeah, I think I'm happy to write anything. <laughs> I'm just desperate to be involved in in, in words yeah. and making people feel something because I think that's huge. You might people who kind of you know, I don't know how passionate I can get about this, but you might people who've said to me, oh, you know, what can you get with a creative degree? I had somebody turn around to me and say, oh, you know, I had a problem registering or whatever it was and he said well yeah that's because you have to get behind the science faculty first and I thought all right <laughs> okay well that's that's definitely your opinion <laughs> but I just know there's a strange sort of stigma I've, I've people say to me oh well you know it's all well and good having a creative degree but where's your creative job you know you're going to be a writer making no money and you better be happy with it and you kind of think no you need a whole refresh of your outlook, but we won't talk about that because it causes issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're right. They, and increasingly, you know, I mean, you only have to see the kind of fight that the arts have had recently to try and get any uh, funding, um, you know, government funding during this time to see where they are in the kind of pecking order almost, yeah. um, which I, I just think is messed, you know, I mean, without, you know. Oh, it's painful to see. Yeah. I mean, I've got so many friends who are, the, you know, they'll run their own theatre company and they're terrified of the theatres all closing down. Or they're, uh, you know, they're journalists or they're uh, kind of making their own podcasts and things. And either their funding's being cut or they're kind of terrified to keep that funding because they don't know where it's going. 
you can't plan ahead for anything and it's sort of it's sort of terrifying everyone just say. And I think you know what if anything's been shown recently is that we're really lessened as as people by the loss of arts by not being able to you know go to theatre or go to film or go to book launches yeah. or whatever it might be. Exactly. Um, and one, something else you mentioned there which recurs quite a lot is the importance I say writing is a kind of solitary undertaking, but actually importance of support and mentors often, and just other people there to kind of maybe give you a boost when you need it. Yeah. I mean, I can't lie. The amount of times I've relied on my mum, you know, she's, she's a maths teacher, but she'll behave like an art teacher and she'll kind of sit and I'll say, can I read you this? And it's, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night. And, She's wonderful because the first thing she'll say is absolutely yes, yes or no, and it, you know it could be the biggest pile of rubbish, but it's amazing to have someone sit there and be like, Do you know what? I can see this in my head, or you know, you need to fix this, but I like this person, and you think, oh, you called them a person. <laughs> That's a character, and you called them a person. Always does the right things <laughs> to say. <laughs> She's like, does he really do that? Is he like, and I, you want to know about the fingers? No, but that's lovely. <laughs> that is good. To have support oh, like that, you know, is a fantastic thing, definitely. So, um, well, I'm just going to ask what you have next, but it sounds like you're very much involved with uh, with the novel. It's definitely something. I'm hoping, hoping it'll be bigger and, and better soon <laughs> and won't hit any more terrifying plot holes where I have to write to the characters and ask them to work with me. <laughs> That's, that was another story. <laughs> That was how we ended up uh, throwing women out the window. So we'll see. <laughs> Who knows what might happen next? Just be oh, okay. Crazy place. <laughs> Crazy fictional place. Well, Rhea, thanks again for joining us today. And congratulations again on your uh, Commonwealth short story win. I'm really looking forward to reading that collection of all of them. Thank you so much. It was amazing I to talk to you. Oh, lovely to talk to you too. And we'll be back soon uh, with someone completely different. Cheers. Mm -hmm.